Amen. Thank you, Neil. It's good to, yeah, to have leaders. I have a tender heart for the gospel and for God. So grateful for you. Uh, yeah, hey, excited to continue in our series in the book of Mark. We've been in this for a few months now, and we're here in chapter 6. And I love just the way we're able to see more and more of who Jesus is and get to know like the things that he cares about and the ways that he displays his authority as God himself. And uh, what's really cool in this passage that we have for this week is actually, it's more about to me at the beginning, is how the people react to Jesus. Because what we have going on in this passage is basically Beatlemania for Jesus. Like, I don't know if you like know what I'm talking about. Beatlemania, when the band the Beatles like came into fame, people freaked out. And it was like girls screaming and chasing them and running all over the place. That was 55 years ago, okay? 55 years ago. That means those 15-year-old girls that were chasing the Beatles around are now 70-year-old women, okay? Uh, That's just a crazy thing to think about. Uh, But then we had about five or six years ago our own uh, modern-day version, which was Bieber fever, right? Uh, Which was this craze over Justin Bieber, this average pop star from Canada. And... Uh, <laughs> and and the, the girls were freaking out, like to the point where when they saw his car, this is how they reacted. It'll, it'll come together. <laughs> they just keep coming. I don't know where they're coming from, but they keep coming. And I don't know what they're hoping for because he's leaving. <laughs> But that's just, they just still, they keep coming. I even had to stop it just because they just, it, it, they don't ever stop. It's just crazy. And so they just, these girls just freaking out with the Bieber fever. And they're going, <laughs> chasing after him. And what's crazy is that's pretty much what happens in this passage to Jesus. This is full-on Beatlemania, Bieber fever for Jesus. So turn to Mark 6 and you will see what happens as Jesus is trying to get a break, okay? They're trying to rest. As you're turning there to Mark 6, we'll be in 31. Before this, Jesus had been teaching and doing all these miracles, and he sends out the disciples. He sends them out to go preach repentance, it says. And it says, go with no bag, no money, no food, and just see how God takes care of you. So they're sent out into that. They do it. It's amazing. They actually end up healing people, casting out demons, like preaching, and they come back. And they're, they're all like celebrating it, but they're also all, I think, a little bit tired. And they need a break. And so that's where we see verse 31. Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So basically Jesus and the disciples are going on a retreat. They're getting a little time of solitude, time of prayer, time to rest. And as they are heading out there, it says verse 32, They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Now, here it happens. Verse 33, the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities. That's kind of big, right? From all the cities and got there ahead of them. 
So what you have here is for Jesus is you have people finding out what hotel the Beatles are staying in, okay? What place Bieber is heading for, and they're just running there to get there ahead of them. And that's how much Jesus is impacting this, this part of the world and what's going on. Like everybody wants to be near him. And what we'll find out later in this passage is that this was 5,000 men plus the women and children, it says. And so you've got, I don't know, 12 to 18,000 people running after Jesus ahead of where he is. And they're just there already when they get there to go on their little retreat, to go on their getaway to rest finally. They pull up onto the shore in their boat and they just see thousands of people standing there. I don't know how you respond if you're wanting to go have a little break and then you see, you know, all of this. The disciples and Jesus respond a little differently than one another. But I love Jesus' response, obviously. It's going to be good. We see it here in verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So what Jesus does is he sees all these people. Instead of, I feel like probably what I would do is like in that moment feel a little bit like, oh, I just wanted a break. I'm exhausted, right? But Jesus has compassion for them. And he loves them. And he says that because he sees that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what you have going on is like the, the, all these people to Jesus are like a couple sheep hanging out, just, you know, with nobody leading them, no one helping them. And what we think of when we know the rest of this story, the, the rest of the story involves food being provided for everyone, okay, and, and a great miracle, that we think that when we see Jesus had compassion for them, we think, oh, Jesus had compassion for them because they were hungry, because they didn't have food. But actually, Jesus doesn't necessarily, it doesn't say that he has compassion for them about that. He has compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then it says, what he does is he begins to teach them. And he teaches them many things. Now this whole thing of sheep without a shepherd, him saying that, what it really is, is it's an indictment on the leadership of Israel. On the political leaders, King Herod, Antipas, who is the one we talked about last week, is the leader of this, this region in Galilee. Like he's just off, you know, having his parties and his power and chopping people's heads off and all that kind of stuff. And so he's, he's off doing that. And then the religious leaders, they're all about their own power and their prestige and how they look and kind of keeping the status quo. And so they're not being the shepherds for the people that they are supposed to be. And so Jesus says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. That phrase was used when Moses said, we need to appoint Joshua as the next leader, or the people of Israel will be like sheep without a shepherd. It's in Numbers 27. In Ezekiel 34, it says that the, because the people were like sheep without a shepherd, they were devoured by the wild beasts. So if we are sheep without a shepherd, we're vulnerable. We don't have that leadership that we need to help us. And Jesus sees that and for that has compassion on them. And so then 
this, like, the solution for that then was for him to teach them many things. I'm sure he was teaching about the kingdom of God. I'm sure he was teaching of some of how we should live. Similar things of what you would read in the Sermon on the Mount maybe. That he's teaching about the gospel of the kingdom and of repentance. And, you know, it's just, like, I'm sure it was these amazing teachings. We don't know everything that was in that. John 6, I really encourage you to to read that sometime this week. It's the same story, but then it shows you kind of some of what he was teaching afterwards. And you can dig into that a little bit more. But so Jesus then feeds the people first on the word of God. He even said himself in Matthew 4, 4 when he was tempted, Man shall not live on bread alone, but upon the very word of God. So he begins to feed them with the word of God and he begins to teach them and help them and showing that he is the good shepherd. He is the one that will lead them in in all the ways that they are lacking as he cares for their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. So let's just kind of continue to see what, okay, how does this story play out after he teaches them and what happens? Verse 35, it says, When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Now let's just pause there for a second. Where where are they? This is the the region that, what this region looks like. And really I don't think it's like the desolate, it's a little less about it being like, this doesn't look super desolate. It's not like they were in, you know, some desert or something. This is the region of Galilee. We'll read later that they were sitting on green grass. But they just weren't really near any big enough cities to be feeding twelve to 18,000 people. Okay, they just don't have that kind, of, um, that kind of supplies nearby in this region. This is kind of what it would look like where you can see it's green grass, but it's also just kind of rough and rocky underneath all of that. And then it says it's already quite late. So just to kind of get you as it's getting dark on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are saying, okay, it's late. We're not near anything. So what they say is in verse 36, they say to Jesus, send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. It's kind of intense, I think, actually. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? I think they're kind of talking back to Jesus here. Because 200 denarii would have been at minimum something like $10,000. But probably even more than that these days. You've got these unemployed fishermen, unemployed uh, IRS worker, and then like a couple other commoners. And then you've got like them, they've been following around an itinerant preacher for the last like months or years. And they're just now... Like, we don't have any money. You just sent us out with no bag, money, or food. We obviously don't have anything. Is like, I think they're kind of saying, like, duh, we don't have 10K, Jesus. And, and he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, 
and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Amazing. We know from Matthew's story that it's, it says 5,000 men besides the women and children. So it does say that women and children were also there. So it's just amazing of what Jesus does and how he comes and, and can provide and does this incredible miracle. But I think there's even more for us to learn in this than just, like, we're already getting it. Like, yeah, Jesus, we know you can do amazing things. Like, we know you can like sort of stop storms, you know, you can stop storms, you can raise people up from the dead. Now you're just, you know, breaking the laws of the universe by turning like a little bit of food into, you know, food for thousands of people. And it's just amazing what Jesus can do. But what's interesting to me first is that you see the disciples, they, you know, Jesus comes and has compassion for all of them, all the people. And the disciples come up and they're like, Jesus, it's getting late. Let's get rid of these people. Let's have them get something to eat. You know, we're done here, right? Like they're just, they're tired. I think they're done with this. And they come to Jesus and they basically tell Jesus what to do. And I think that often we come to Jesus with our suggestions for him, maybe even more so, maybe our demands for Jesus, when we probably should be coming to Jesus with our questions for him first. Like, Lord, I... What should I do in this situation? God, there's all, Jesus, there's all these people here. Like, what should I do? What, sh- what do you want us to do about this? Versus, Jesus, send them away. And then Jesus gives them this look and is like, you give them something to eat, right? It's basically like Jesus is kind of, in this situation, it's like when a, a student says to their teacher, like, did the bell ring? It's time to go. And, you know, and then teacher's like, what? Excuse me, right? It's that kind of situation where the little kid's like, mom, give me the candy. And it's like, uh-uh, you don't, you know, you don't speak to me this way. That's Jesus. Jesus is this right now. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. That is literally what's happening. And for, for the disciples, I think for us, we come to Jesus and say, give me this, you know? We feel some lack. We feel some, like, need that we have. Jesus, give me this. And it's kind of like, should we really be speaking to him in this way? May we come to Jesus more with our, our questions, our requests, rather than our demands or our suggestions of what he should do. And I think especially, too, about when we are considering, like, like what it is that like how we're supposed to respond to needs in the world, right? This is a need of these people. These people have a need of hunger in this moment, and they don't have anything. And the disciples just want to kind of like get rid of the problem. Like, let's just get rid of this problem, get these people out of here, let them figure it out. And, and so our response shouldn't be just trying to get these problems out of our face, but to say, Lord, what would you have me do? And I think that's the heart of servanthood, is not just even I'm in to help, But the heart of servanthood in this passage would be, Lord, I want to help, but what would you have me do? That kind of posture towards Jesus. We even this week as a pastoral staff, we had our pastoral staff meeting. And uh, just during that time, I read this passage and just kind of thinking about this, even when it comes to like what we hope for and want for our church. And we were saying like, hey, look, like we know we want some things. Like, God, we want us to be a church that is 
that is focused on the good news of the gospel and is proclaiming that and living that and sharing that with others and not just keeping that for ourselves. And we want to be a place that's full of warmth and joy and passion for God and that we're better together, we're unified in that way. You know, we know we have these things that we want, but how are we coming to Jesus and just saying, God, these are the things we want, even though they're good things, they're biblical things, but God, give us this stuff, like demanding of it, right? Where we wanted to say, hey, Lord, just... What would you have us do? What do you want? Not that we've never asked that question before. We really have. But it was just, let's take this time to say, Lord, we even repent of the ways that we make these demands of you instead of asking you. And so we repented of some of that stuff. And we just asked God, Lord, speak to us and work in us and help us know what you would want us to do and how you would want us to do it. And just trying to take on some of that posture together. But wanting us to have a posture that's not just wanting to send away things that we think are problems. It's almost like often I think we sort of try to outsource servanthood. Whether it's even to God himself, like God take care of this, I don't want to. Or if it's, you know, somebody else is probably going to take care of it. And I think that's a little bit of the disciples where they're just like, hey, you know, send them away. But then Jesus turns this on them and is like, you Give them something to eat. You have a role in meeting this need. And I think so often we could have this kind of posture that is, you know, we see, maybe we see someone as we're walking into church. And there's someone in one of the breezeway hallways outside that's homeless. And they're sitting there and we pass right by them. And we just think, man, I should probably go get somebody to help. I should go get somebody on on staff or a pastor needs to know about this to take care of it. Well, I kind of want to say a similar thing that Jesus said and say, you're you're the church. (laughs) You take care of it, you know. You give them something to eat. And, And maybe God's speaking that a little bit to each one of us today. Is when we pass someone with a need or some sort of issue in our world and we think, well, we got to get somebody to handle that, right? You know, maybe God's speaking to you. You give them something to eat. You take care of it. You come to me and say, God's saying, okay, you come to me and say, Lord, how would you have me respond? Or what would you have me do in this moment? How could I meet this need? And you tell me you're the church. And so if we can begin to shift our mindsets from let's get somebody to fix it. Let's get somebody to handle it. Let's get, you know, the church to deal with it. Let's remember you are the church. You're the people. The church is not the building, the institution, the pastors, the elders, the staff. That is not the church. The church is the people of God gathered together and then sent out on mission and gathered together and sent out again. We are the church. We are those ones that are gathered together. It is us as a group of people. So let's consider how we can respond to that and respond to that well. Because I know that when we are faced with those situations, when we face a need like that, often we just don't feel like we have what it takes. We don't feel like we have the resources to do it. Like we don't know about what we're supposed to do. But what I want to tell you is that God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Okay, hear that. 
God doesn't call those who are only those who are equipped already to handle a situation or would have everything that is needed amongst themselves. Thank you. (laughs) God equips the call. So God will call you to serve. God will call you to meet a need in some way. And you will feel inadequate. You You will feel unresourced or just unable. But God will then equip you. It's what he does in this story. They don't have $10,000 to buy food for these people. They don't have it. But God says, look, what do you have? Help, just let's meet this need together and I will provide for you. And then, yeah, we come together and we help one another. I'm not saying like, you know, never come to like the church and ask the leadership and ask us for help in handling something. We want to help you. But it's not a pass off. It's like this is God has called you into this. And God wants to use you to meet a need. You know, this last week we had our middle schoolers, you guys can come up, uh, out in San Francisco. And I'm going to invite up Josh Simpson, our middle school pastor, and Nehemiah Reyes. Come on up. <clears throat> so they were serving in San Francisco. And uh, just, and it was a pretty awesome trip, it sounded like. But uh, it's always cool to see God use middle schoolers to meet needs. So Josh, can you just kind of yeah, lead so us? Yeah, so it is an amazing trip. We took 16 students and five adults to uh, San Francisco, and we got to serve the people. There are a lot of needs in the city of San Francisco, so we do a variety of things. We do a prayer walk. We go to food banks. We uh, go to Village Project where we work with kids, but we also do stuff like meet a need and city search, and Nehemiah is going to share a story of what happened to him on that trip. All right, so I think uh, uh, one of the, the trips that I did is called Meet in Need also and City Search, like Josh said. And uh, so what we did was we get $2 and to find lunch, and we split up into groups. And it was like my group was five people, so we each got $2, and we had to find lunch in the city. So, and we also had to... We had like a paper that had questions and we were supposed to try to talk to as many like people in need uh, as we could. So we were walking and we saw this guy um, on the street and he was asking people for food and if someone could buy him like a meal, like something to eat. And so we went up to him and we started walking with him and we asked him if there's like a place that's like not too expensive to eat. And he told us a McDonald's down the street, like it was like two streets away, I think. And so we started walking towards there. But And I was asking him questions like, when's the last time you saw your family? And he told me that he hadn't seen his family and, or talked to them like on the phone since like high school because he left to mm. uh, the Vietnam War and he was like a, he was a cook for the soldiers. And then after that, he was sent home and he never saw his family again or talked Mm. to them. So he was like on his own. And uh, yeah, we were talking with him and we didn't find the McDonald's. So we stopped at a Carl's Jr. (laughs) And um, so we bought him some food. Well, Courtney bought him some food. And uh, yeah, we like we bought the food. We sat with him for a little and then. And the, at the end, he asked for the receipt. And then um, we were like, no, like, we'll, we'll pay for this, like, this is for you. And he's like, oh, no, uh, I want the receipt because I want to check how much calories, like, are in the burger. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, 
Well, like, I thought it was kind of funny, but he told us that it's because, like, like he hadn't eaten in three days, and, like, he says, I have to watch what I eat because I got to survive, and I don't know when my next meal is coming. So wow. I thought that was, like, like yeah. really hard, and I thought it was cool that we got to help him. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Nehemiah. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, yeah appreciate you guys. You know, I love that they can just go $2, right? You think of loaves and fish, right? Like they have their $2. How can we meet a need with this? And we can recognize that we can. And that often it's kind of like with Jesus where it was this compassion for them and the teaching of them and talking with them was even more, you know, what they needed. Now they also needed the food. But um, it's really cool how some of these middle schoolers can provide like a conversation and a smile and a friend uh, to these people. And it was awesome. And they were just able to, to meet a need. And so I love that if our middle schoolers with $2 can meet a need, so can we, right? We can really do this. Oh, I forgot to show you these pictures while they were up here. I was supposed to show you. There's, there's Nehemiah right there. So it's looking good. But these are our, our middle schoolers just were awesome. So really proud of that whole crew that were there in San Francisco that week. And so I want us then to think about um, how we can meet needs and how do we do this in a way that is us, you know, kind of coming to Jesus in a different way than the disciples did. And so I just think about kind of like what I said earlier, where let's say you encounter a homeless person on your walk into church on Sunday morning. How do you respond? Just even be thinking through this right now. How do you respond? And is your response A, just to go get someone else? Is it B, to just start doing stuff right away? Or is it even C, to say, Lord, what would you have me do? And, you know, I recognize there's some moments like this where someone's right in front of you, that might be a quick prayer, you know? And it's, a, it's like a continual sense of being in prayer, of like asking God to guide you in that. Maybe you hear about a person that was going to lose their job because their car broke down. They're not in front of you. You maybe have no responsibility in the sense of them seeing that you even know about this. What do you do? How do you speak to God? How do you then respond? How do you think of this as something you're called to rather than just someone else? Or your neighbor's father has passed away. You find that out. How can you respond? Your friend is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. That we can then come to God and say, Lord, this thing happened. Lord, how would you have me respond? What do you want me to do, Lord? How can I engage in this myself? And how can I do that in the way that you would want me to do it? And I I think that as we come to Jesus with these things and we ask him, we see in this passage that Jesus meets needs, that Jesus has the authority to help us meet needs in ways that are beyond, uh, that we could ever even imagine that he could do. These disciples, I don't think, even though they were sent out and provided for by God and, and all of these, this mission that they'd been on, they still didn't get it that Jesus could do these miracles, or at least didn't realize he would in this moment, that Jesus would just make food happen and that everybody has plenty of leftovers. And it's incredible, incredible to see. Because what Jesus said to them, though, first was, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And so we have to answer that question. Okay, what do I have to offer? What do you have to offer? What do we have to bring into this situation? That little boy in that passage that just was willing to give his lunch to help feed these thousands of people. He's like, well, we got this. You know, they come to Jesus kind of, they kind of felt stupid about it almost. You know, well, 
I got this little bit of pita bread and some dried fish, right? Here you go. Like, I don't know what you're going to do with it. But God can do amazing things with it that we come to Jesus and say, Lord, here's what I have. Please use it, Lord. I would ask that you would use this. And we can see then, I think, when we bring what we have, we can see awesome things happen. Like, for example, we have a thing here at Calvary called the exchange. It's part of our nursery. It's this room is actually right over here in the nursery. And what it is, it's a room full of baby stuff, okay? Now, you can go in this room, if you have a baby, and you can get all the baby stuff you want. Just take whatever you need. And then we ask people to also give baby stuff, okay? You got clothes, you got shoes, you got bassinets or strollers or toys or whatever, and bring that in. And it's so cool. This was, I just took this picture with my phone like a couple days ago. And this is just what's like about half the room, uh, half the stuff that's in it right now. And people come and they can give and they can also get stuff that they need. And it's really cool. Like there's a bassinet that somebody gave. And then now that bassinet has been used and then returned by four different families. That four families have, have taken that thing and then brought it back. I think it's a beautiful way that just this small amount of stuff we have can make an impact for God. Right? And that's, I think, the kind of way that we can all be thinking of that. Um, another thing that I was thinking about is our ENF, our Emergency Needs Fund. And this is a fund that we have where we ask about once a month for people to give towards. Actually, we'll be asking today as you leave. There'll be people at the door that you can give towards that. And I think, you know, a lot of times, like, for me, like when it comes to our, my normal giving of tithes and offerings, that's planned and that's, you know, I'm giving that in this kind of more planned out way. But honestly, even for me, when it comes to the emergency needs fund, I know some people plan for it and that's awesome. I'm kind of like looking at my wallet, what do I got? If I got a 20, I'll drop it in. You know, that kind of a situation. And just being real, like that's how, I feel like that's almost like my loaves and fishes. Like, okay, Lord, well, here's what I have. I'll drop it in. And I know that's what many people do too. You got like a one or a five or five twenties. I don't know. We're kind of dropping it in when we are reminded that it's an ENF giving Sunday, right? And what's so cool is that kind of giving even can result in amazing things happening. Like even just in these last couple weeks, we have like a couple cool stories. One was of a a single mom that needed her car repaired um, and she couldn't go to work until it was fixed. And so you're giving to that ENF fund you know, dropping a, a 20 in there on a Sunday resulted in her car getting fixed and now she can go to work and it kind of breaks what could be that cycle of leading to losing a job and then into greater, you know, in greater needs at that point. Um, it also, we have a woman that came in just this week needing emergency dental surgery. That would have resulted in like a lot of like kind of worse things happening for her if she didn't have this. And just in no way uh, even had the possibility of having the money for this. And so we're able to provide that. And she was able to get the surgery. We do help about 10 to 20 families with ENF each month. And we give away about eight to $13,000 to those people each month. We've got about 20-something uh, widows and single moms that just get like food cards and gas cards through that fund regularly. And so it's amazing. It's a wonderful thing that, you know, this kind of us bringing our loaves and fishes to that, to that offering can result in people having really significant needs met in their life. Uh, I actually didn't even tell him I was going to say this, but my friend Greg Clark, who's sitting over here, he, uh, I think of him 
um, as he serves in this ministry called Up and Running Again, where he kind of like was able to be in like a new stage of life where he could take his loaves and fishes, which was his body and his passion for running, and have that result in serving God uh, through this ministry that's at taking people that live at different rescue missions and, and getting them to the point of doing a half marathon, teaching discipline and goal achievement and working together and just so many wonderful things, including the gospel. And so it's just so awesome to see people like, like that's just his, his passion and his, his health, his body. And he said, okay, Lord, here it is. And that's like, it's serving and making a great impact. And so many of us are in things like that. So I want to encourage you to think of, okay, what do you have to offer? What do you have to offer? How many loaves do you have? Go look. You've got a card in your bulletins. Okay, hopefully you grabbed a bulletin. There's a card in there. It looks something like this. Um, pull that out right now, please. And you've got that little card. And if you don't grab a bulletin on the way in, I really encourage you to remember to do that because it'll be helpful. But um, this little card here, and it just says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. What things do I have that I'm willing to give? Because I think what's so cool about us is we can say, hey, Lord, well, here's what I have. Like, Lord, work with this. Lord, let these be my loaves and fishes. And what I would encourage you to do, what I w want for you to do, is to take that and even right now, start filling it out. It's got your name and contact info and then just things that you might have that you're willing to share, that you're willing to give. And it could be things like you have an extra empty room in your home. You know, we even had like things where just like last week or week before, we had all these um, volunteers from Forest Home come to help put on neighborhood day camp. And they needed a place to stay while they were here for the week. And it's like different people open their home for them. And that's awesome. So it might be something like that. Maybe you've got an extra car. Maybe you've got just an extra bike. <laughs> Maybe you have the ability to give free babysitting. You have time. Maybe you could do free handyman work for people, or maybe you could just, you know, do free yard work if you don't have those sorts of skills. Maybe you've got a vacation home that I could use. Um, oh, wait, shoot, that came out wrong. Um, maybe uh, you just have some sort of wisdom or expertise in some area, you know. Like, whatever it is, like, I don't know what you have. Those are just ideas. You might have something totally random. Maybe you've got baby stuff sitting in your garage. I've got a lot of Christmas decorations and lights that I'm unwilling to give to anyone else. But people have given me theirs, which was awesome. And so, <laughs> but we have just stuff to give. And so I want you to think about what God has given you and what are you willing to share of that and write it down there. We'd love to then just turn that in when the offering is passed in a little while. And we encourage you to give of your financial offering, but to give this to say, Lord, here's stuff I have that I'm willing to share. I want to give. I want to be able to provide this for others. And then, you know, we have these cards. And then when we hear about a need, we can just give you a call. Hey, do you still have that extra bike? We've got somebody that could take it to work. Are you willing to give that for them? You know, just stuff like that. Like ways that you're willing to share what you have. So even start ignoring me now and start filling that out if you would like. But um, you can drop it off in the offering. You can drop it off even when you leave today. And... I just want to encourage us to say, Lord, here is what I have. I am willing to share. I am willing to give what I have. Lord, what would you then have me do with it? And to ask God. And so we see Jesus work this amazing miracle, right? Of feeding all these thousands of people. And it says they all ate and were satisfied. 
I love that word satisfied. That Jesus satisfies our ultimate needs. Jesus provides what we need both physically and spiritually in the here and now and for eternity. That Jesus provides all that. I talked about John 6. I really do encourage you to read more of John 6. We're in this Mark passage, but in John 6, like I said, he does this whole miracle and then he begins to preach even more. And in that, he says to them, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says this thing that to a lot of these people was kind of creepy sounding, but he says, you should eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, which is creepy sounding, okay? But like he's referring to himself as this bread of life. And then he's also, his blood is, as they would then later go to the Last Supper, and they would have the bread representing his body and the wine representing his blood shed. And he's saying, I am the bread of life, and I have come. He said, I'm like the manna in the wilderness given by God to the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. I'm like that. I am, then he kind of says this this whole flesh and blood thing in the way that we think of it as communion, where he blesses God, he breaks the bread, passes it out to them, and says, I am the bread of life. And then we can even think of these 12 baskets left over, overflowing. It's in some way representing amongst the 12 tribes of Israel, but I think even more representing this future banqueting table and feast that we will have for eternity as we spend eternity with God in the new heaven and new earth on a banquet feast table that is overflowing with goodness and it will never run out. There will always be leftovers. And that is the beauty of what we have to come. The beauty that we have now, and then this richness that we have with Jesus forever. And all of this is represented here. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the one that gives to you and will give to you forever. And it's this amazing picture. And so I want us to have that picture as we go into this moment now of remembering Jesus's death on the cross as we take communion here together. And so as we do that, people are going to go and to to pass the elements now. But I want us, as we receive them, we will be past the bread and the cup and we hold on to them. And just spend some time reflecting on how Jesus is the bread of life. On how this bread represents his body given for us. And how the cup represents his blood shed for us. That we would remember and not forget And that we would be filled with gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done. And so I'd encourage you uh, to examine yourselves. We're just going to have some time of just instrumental, soft music for you to reflect. Maybe you want to fill out that card at some point too. But just mostly to reflect and examine yourself. Lord, what are the things I need to repent of, Lord? I want to bring anything, any conflict I have with others. Whatever it is, bring that to his feet. And confess of that and come to him with an examined life. And then we will remember what he's done for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you came to this earth and lived this perfect life that none of us could live.
Lord, that you were willing to go upon that cross to die, to give your body and to shed your blood. Lord, but I also thank you that you had power to come back from the, back from the death to life again on that third day, Lord, and that you had victory over sin and death. We remember all of that now. We also remember, though, the cost, the suffering you went through for us. And Lord, I pray that you would just begin to shift and transform our hearts to hearts that are willing to give, willing to serve, but also willing to ask, Lord, what would you have us do? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.